The gospel lesson is taken from Mark's gospel, chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. This is the gospel of Christ. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. And as they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered, as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went to the temple. He looked around at everything but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of the Lord. About a dozen years ago, a story hit the Internet reporting that the legislature of the state of Alabama had voted to change the mathematical value of pi which is 31, uh, what is it, uh, 3141, something like that. You'll get it. <laughs> to a simple round number three, because that's what the Bible teaches. The author of the story was, was obviously playing an April Fool's joke, but the Associated Press picked it up. He had signed this April holiday by the Asocialized Press. It was actually written by a scientist by the na name of Boxloth, uh, Mark Bosloth, I should say, who was using it as a parody to make fun of those who did poor scientific work. As the story took off, he immediately came out and declared that he was only playing an April Fool's joke and that this was a hoax. But you know, once something gets started on the internet, well, you really can't stop it. You should remember that. What you put on your Facebook and everything else. A number of journalists bought the story. They reported on it as if it were true. Humiliated, the legislatures of Alabama finally came out and said that they had not tampered with pie, no matter what the Bible teaches. <laughs> now, this was a, a great joke. And um, it's still on the Internet. Now, why did it work? It wasn't simply because it was April 1. It worked because most people in Alabama take the Bible seriously. And number two, some of the legislators and reporters were not familiar enough with mathematics or with the Bible to tell the difference. 
Let me say that what I'm speaking about today is no joke. It's not an April Fool's joke. It's not a hoax. Jesus, about this time, almost 2,000 years ago, went into the city of Jerusalem. And there was no laughter on his face. There was adulation. But by the end of the week, he would be crucified on a cross. It was the last week before his death as he entered in. We are now getting to, if you will, those last few days of his earthly life before his crucifixion. As he was about to enter the city of Jerusalem, he was acclaimed. And what I want you to see today about the triumphal entry is that it is a sign to those people and to all subsequent generations as to who Jesus is. And it points to our interest in him, why it is important for you to know today. Did Jesus consciously and deliberately fulfill scripture? Or to put it another way, was he playing a role from a script? The answer is clearly yes. Notice the deliberate, even calculated effort he made to signal to us who he was as he fulfilled Scripture. Now, let me rehearse the scene. I know it was read to you. But get the sequence. Every detail here is important. As he approached Jerusalem from the east, from two small towns, first Bethany and then Bethpage, Bethany only about two miles away or three. As he approached from the east, he probably spent the night in Bethany. The next morning he got up. Word had already got about, particularly in Bethany, because he had raised Lazarus there. And that's where Mary and Martha live. They came out. And... Uh, he told him to go fetch a colt, a young colt, a colt that had never been ridden in the next village. He said, untie them and bring that colt to me. He even told them what to say if there was objection. When he mounted it, he mounted it and he had as a saddle the cloak of those around him. The people began to throw their cloaks down in front of him and palm branches as he rode forward. Behind him and in front of him, people went shouting, Hosanna. The crowds followed him. Hosanna, they cried. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they shouted. Blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Now that is the upshot of the story. That day, a week before he was to be crucified. Now, I want you to notice something. Some of you are very careful Bible readers, and you might be uh, obviously interested in how Jesus fulfills Scripture. Now, notice, he knows these Scripture. He's actually playing this out. Some of those in the crowd obviously knew some of the Scriptures too, but they didn't know all of them. Notice what he did. 
He sent his disciples ahead to, to untie a colt and to bring it to him. It so happens in Genesis 49, 11, we have a reference to this. He will tether his donkey to a vine and his colt to the choicest branch. And that was a prophecy concerning someone who would come as a King David, yea, even a greater than David, who would rule in Israel. And according to 1 Samuel chapter 8, a king had a right to requisition things from the community. Kings and generals in times of war have the right to requisition things. Your automobile, whatever. Jesus had that right. And based upon this passage in 1 Samuel, he requisitioned the cult. And according to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, he would introduce he would enter Jerusalem to sounds of rejoicing. Let me read Zechariah 9, 9. The prophet says, Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. When King Solomon was coronated, he rode to his coronation on a donkey. It was a sign of royalty. The spreading of the garments in the pathway is from, well... It's greeting appropriate to royalty. This wasn't the first time something like this would happen. The shouts of Hosanna recall Psalm 118, a psalm of royal enthronement when the king would be enthroned. The palm branches strewn along the way. In 164, when the Maccabeans and Judas Maccabeus defeated the Seleucus king of Syria. He entered into Jerusalem with palms being waved and thrown in the pathway. These people knew some of this. They were not ignorant as history, uh, on their history as maybe some of us might be. Palm branches represent a hero's welcome. And Jesus was being welcomed as a hero. These people had been with him for nearly three years, some of them. Now, all of this tells us a couple of things. It tells us some things about Jesus. Everything here is deliberate. And it is for our edification and instruction today. So I want to provide four interpretations of what this meant that some of them would have picked up in that day and all of us should know today in hindsight. The interpretation of the triumphal entry obviously means that the ministry of Jesus in his teaching and healing has been sanctioned and received the sanction of God. It was successful. Every person here today one day will stand before the Lord of glory. And he will say to those who know him, Enter thou into the joys of the Lord, thy good and faithful servant. He will say, well done. In this case, when Jesus deliberately fulfilled scripture, 
He is signaling to everyone there that, yes, though he had opposition, though people tried to trick him, though at times he had no place to lay his head, everything that he did, every healing, and everything that he taught as the prophet of God bore the sanction of God Almighty. What he said was true. What he did was redeeming. And that, my friend, is one interpretation. When he went into that city, he did so with the sanction and favor of his Father in heaven. He came to seek and to save the lost. The second thing you'll notice about this passage of Scripture, it declares Jesus to be the King of Israel. Now, in some ways, this is the most important thing, obviously, for his coming death. Jesus, indeed, is the king of Israel. He'll be asked that question on Good Friday. Are you the king of the Jews? Which he simply says, knowing that the cards, if you will, were stacked against him, said, thou sayest. Jesus, indeed, is the king of the Jews. He is the Messiah of Israel, and he is a king who brings to us hope and salvation. Make no mistake. Jesus goes into the city not to become a king or not to be authenticated. He has already received God's divine favor and he has been declared to be the king of Israel. It's also true that when Jesus goes into the city, he acts on behalf of his father. Now, I don't know whether everyone followed him into Jerusalem. They probably stopped before they got to the city gates. It was obviously getting late in the evening, and he and his disciples went in, and as they circled around the wall, they went into the nearest part concerning the temple, and he walked into the temple courts. Jesus is about to cleanse the temple, and he does. And here is a place that I preached on several weeks ago. The meek and mild Jesus that most people have a picture of would be shocked if they read the Bible closely. For he was angry and he cleansed the temple. Why did he cleanse the temple? Because there were unclean dogs, Gentiles running around? No, as a matter of fact, he clearly says that the temple is a prayer house for all nations. He didn't do that. He cleansed the temple because its leaders had defiled it. And they understood what that meant. They understood all along the temple authorities were angry with Jesus. They saw him as a threat from the beginning. All the time that he was ministering to the crowds, all the time that he was healing and teaching and doing good among those in the Judean hill country, from Galilee to Jerusalem, There was a party anxiously awaiting their opportunity to spring on him and to destroy him. No, he cleansed the temple as an act of God. This happened uh, to a triggered enormous hostility toward him. It issues forth in his crucifixion. And his death on the cross and his resurrection... Let me say two or three things here. You know, Jesus has triumphed. He is our Savior. 
And I would bid you today to make your calling and election sure in Christ. Once again, to say, oh, Lord Jesus, you are the King of Israel. You are my Lord and my Savior. I receive you. Christians have to say that over and over. The first time you become a Christian, that is your confession. The earliest confession that we have in the Bible, we use them every Sunday. We do so based on the fact that they're in the Bible and were used by the Jews. The, the Shema, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And in the New Testament, the confession, Jesus is Lord. Every true Christian says that somewhere along their, in their life, and they mean it from their heart. And you can only say it through the gift of God's Spirit. Come, Lord Jesus, into my heart and my life. The second thing I want you to know is that this king who has triumphed is in our midst today. I preach by his urging. You listen because you have an interest in him. Jesus acted these things out very carefully so that you might know that he is the Messiah of Israel. And when he dies on the cross, he dies as that one promise from the Father. He came into the world to seek and to save the lost. In one sense, the sweep of history in the Bible is very simple. It is a promise in the Old Testament that he will send the Savior and he finally comes and he wins the victory. He delivers us once and for all from our sin and misery. That's what the triumphal entry means. The final thing is it did trigger hostility. Oh, the hostility that last week. Can you imagine, can you imagine the temple authorities meeting in small groups, whispering to each other, when are we going to get our chance? They've already concocted this plot that they're going to have Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane to plant a kiss on him, to betray him. It's all done. They're waiting for the right moment. And when they get it, they spring their trap. But oh, my friend, who was trapped? Who was trapped? Satan and all of his hosts were trapped. There was an early theory of the atonement that was spread among early Christians in the second and third century. And it was this, just as in the Garden of Eden... When Satan came and tricked our first parents, deceived them. That in the garden on that night, when they took him, Satan thought that he would devour the flesh of Christ and forever abolish him to only get the hook of his divinity and his defeat. I like that theory. It reverses the Garden of Eden. Ever how you view that cross, it is the triumph of God in Jesus Christ. On next Lord's Day, we will sing at the end. It's actually a, a hymn that should be sung today, but I like to sing it on Easter. The final hymn, Lift High the Cross, upon which the Prince of Glory died. I like to sing that hymn because when it is lifted up, he is not there, but he has triumphed. Have you heard of D-Day and V-J Day? On June the 6th, 1944, the Allied troops led 
by America under General Dwight David Eisenhower stormed the beaches of Normandy. June the 6th, 1944. They stormed the beaches of Normandy. They took heavy fire. I don't know whether any of you have been there to the beaches of Normandy. I have not, but I've seen it on television. Row after row of crosses representing those who lost their lives. Why did they call it D-Day? Because the Allied forces and General Eisenhower knew that this invasion, invasion ensured the defeat of the Nazi forces. He rendered it certain. The truce was not signed, the surrender, until May 7th, 1945. That's VJ Day. Nearly a year later. But the victory had been won a year earlier. It was sure. It was just a matter of playing it out. My friend, when Jesus entered into the city of Jerusalem, the victory was already won. And when he died on the cross, that week might represent D-Day, but when he resurrected three days later, it's VJ Day. And that's the world you live in. You live not in the world, as I was talking with Dan and a couple others, not in the world of Good Friday, where everything goes wrong. It's still Good Friday. You actually live in the era of the resurrection. And as he lives, you will live also. This is our triumph. This is our triumphant day. This is our triumphant week. Join me next week and let's sign the armistice. Amen.